Come on, Nigel, we're waiting. I'll wait for you. Podcast. Yeah, go. You're the host. Oh, say hello. Hello, welcome to the Wing at F1. Speak podcast. open sesame. With me, Nigel Chu, your host <laughs> this evening. Hey. <laughs> what about those F1 cars, eh? Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Winging It F1 podcast. We've been talking about Doctor Who for some reason. I don't know why. David Tennant. Uh, we're not prepared at all. David Tennant. Huh? David Tennant. David Tennant. Don't know who that is. Is he oh Scottish? God. <laughs> I'm joking. Of course I know who he is. Uh, before David we start, Tennant. I just want to say, this is getting serious now. I just want to say a big thank you to everyone who's watched and listened to our latest episode because we did very well. Shout out to our, uh, our teacher, Michelle, who some people won't know, but if you do know her, thank you, because she gave us a shout out in uh, the masterclass lecture thing. Uh, Freddie wasn't there, but I was. Uh, so it's going to be what someone noticed. Uh, but yeah, thank you for that. And yeah, thank you for anyone who's watched and listened recently. And if you haven't, well, you must be because you're listening to this now. Uh, joining me as always is Reddy and Adam. What have you two been up to that you can say on the podcast that won't get you sapped? Uh, yeah, what have you been up to? <laughs> well, I mean, if we're doing shout outs, I'll give a shout out to the person who I bumped into in the queue for the toilets at a club the other day. And he said, Oh, and are you British? And I said, Yeah. And he said, Oh, do you like F1? And I said, Yeah, I do a podcast on it. And then he subscribed to the podcast. So if you're listening, I don't, I don't know your name, but thanks for being along for the ride. Oh, yeah, if we're doing shout-outs, I'll give a shout-out to David Tennant for coming back to Doctor Who. There we go. There we go. David Tennant, Michelle Rawlings. The circle is closed. And bumped into, into the toilet. Mm. Uh, yeah. Hello. I hope you're enjoying it. I hope, I hope yeah. he's living up to your expectations. Oh, yeah, he will. He, he's, he's, he's the best Doctor. I mean, of course he'll live up to my expectations. Oh, God. Well, <sighs> as long as we not about Eurovision. Uh Right. I enjoyed that. That was great fun. Well, yeah, Dover were great. I felt bad that they didn't win because, like, you know, obviously Ukraine, it was a great story, but Moldova were fantastic. It came just at the right time in the evening. G yeah. everyone up after all the ballads. I thought Sweden did very well as well, and they deserved all the votes. I thought Graham Norton maybe went on a bit too long about all the ballads, though. Like, his, to me, his saying, oh, we've had a long run of ballads after everyone was more annoying than the ballads themselves, I they were, thought. I thought the ballads were quite good. Yeah. I really like Germany, and then they got a zero from the from the judges. I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have liked Germany, but I like that. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Britain got zero last year, and now we're in second. So, you know, there's hope next yeah. year coming yeah, again. Yeah, exactly. It went very well. It's just like mm. when we um um didn't win the Euros. Well, right. ex- except a load of Italians <laughs> and get beaten up afterwards. No, that's a good point. Yeah, maybe it's actually Eurovision. Much better than it's probably best <laughs> that we didn't host Eurovision next year because of the Eurovision hooliganism. Yes, brilliant. Well, that's a minute I have no idea what those two were talking about. Uh, let's talk about F1 because that's what we're here for. Uh, oh. Let's first talk about the championship Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc. Now, I was thinking, now it might just be me, but it does feel a bit less intense this year the battle between those two compared to. Lewis Hamilton and Verstappen last year. Uh, is that something that you also feel uh, the same way about, uh, Adam? I'll come to you first. Yeah, I think so. It kind of, 
It feels like the teams are winning on the tracks where they should be winning on. And it's, I don't know, it, it just kind of feels, it feels less intense and um, there's not the kind of the rivalry off the track that there was last season. But it just, I guess it, it, the stakes don't seem as high. Whereas last season, it was Mercedes going for the clean sweep of the um, of the era from 2014. And you had Red Bull who've been on, you know, been down for eight years trying to stop them. And, you know, you had the storyline of Hamilton, who's been the, you know, multi-world champion and Verstappen as the kind of pretender trying to trying to take that crown and become the biggest driver in the sport and, and dethrone him. And this year, there doesn't seem to be that. There's, you know, Verstappen's got his championship. Red Bull have got their championship there. There's not, I guess, the same um, overcoming the kind of recent history of not being there. And then you've got Ferrari who are just kind of, it kind of seems positive about Ferrari, but, you know, it doesn't feel like really, it, it doesn't feel the same way that it did with Red Bull last year, where they really felt like they were kind of desperate to win the, the championship this season. It just, it, it doesn't feel like the same stakes are there to me. Now, Freddie, I know in our awkward conversations, you feel differently. Uh, explain why. Yeah, um, when Nigel pitched this question to me before the pod, I, I thought it was a bit of a non-event question because if I think back to, yeah, Adam's right about talking about it was taking down the juggernaut of Mercedes and so on. But if I think back to sort of the main sort of flashpoints of that year, of that championship fight, they were so late and there was so much sort of um, time had gone past through that year. It seemed like it was going to slip away from both of them. Whereas at this point, we're only five races in. If I think back to sort of the fifth race last year, there was the odd kind of jibe between Lewis and Max. I think it was, I think it would have been Monaco, and it would have been, I think Lewis said something along the lines of, Oh, don't want to don't want to get in Max's head. And then he Max said, Well, you don't, and that was it. Like it's nothing. And at that kind of point, as a championship fight, it was it wasn't that intense at this point of that season. So I kind of think as a question, it's kind of like championship fights get really intense when the championship's closer and in such a long championship season, I think it kind of, I think there's every chance that this could become quite a desperate championship. I think um, you're not going to get desperation for a championship this early in the season. Yeah. They all want to win, but it's, it's, it's very much about sort of getting a score on the board early so that you can have a desperation later down the line. So that's my opinion on that. I think looking back, I mean, you just had so much, you know, the first two races were Bahrain and Imola. And, you know, in those two, you had kind of massive swings. You had, you know, one one of the best season openers ever in Bahrain and Red Bull kind of losing out through um, Max, you know, running off marginally. And then you had Imola where they came together at the first corner and then Hamilton kind of slid off, you know, trying to chase Max down. So to me, the last season's championship, the really fallow bit was really from that kind of middle stretch of uh, Baku, Paul Ricard and the two um, Austria races. But I think it, it seems to start off very well. And even, even in the beginning, it's still, it, it just felt like, you know, the teams, it just kind of felt life or death between the two teams and the two drivers. Whereas it doesn't, you know, obviously they still want to win, but it doesn't, there's not that same feeling of them needing to win with every fibre of every team member's body that I got from last year's championship. And I think that was present through the first, through the first five races where, you know, you had them going to wheel to wheel every 
through the first four and then Monaco where Monaco was kind of the big, um, that's the first race that Mercedes has slipped up on majorly for a while. So, you know, I, I think there was that intensity earlier on. I don't know. I, I think it was no different to sort of the intensity that you would, you would have in most championships for me personally, but yeah, I mean, yeah, we did get to Baku and that was where they, they started with all the old Christians, a windbag, all that kind of stuff on TV and, all the wings and so the Vexi wing debate and so on, which to be fair was a bit there at race five as well. But um, I kind of feel like there's always these kind of underlying things throughout a lot of the top class. And I think, yeah, I think that, I think there's, it's definitely safe to say there is a, di a different relationship between um, from Red Bull to Mercedes than Red Bull to Ferrari in this kind of position. Um, but I think, I think, I don't think there's a, that this championship is going to lack intensity if it stays close like it has been with Charles and Max throughout, I think the intensity is only going to, is, is going to be there. And, but I just think right. it's a symptom of the fact that it's not kind of a point where we're at like, Oh God, we've got three races to go. And if I lose this race, I lose everything. Not, Oh, there's so much that it's infeasible to kind of quantify the future races. When we got to Monaco last year, we were saying that, Oh, the shop had to win Monaco. It doesn't really feel like that. And you know, this is even though despite, the club that's happened this year, they've been wheel to wheel in each of the five events, if you include like the sprint race and inroad and stuff like that, which is, and last year, you know, it was the same with the first four. So, but we said know, that it, because it Lewis, had, Lewis has had his best ever start to a season. That's why we said that. He was on 94 points after four races. That's, if you look, think about it from that perspective, he's only dropped 10 points. So that's why we're looking at that saying if Max wants to keep the championship alive, he needs to win. That's a different thing to, um, talking about them sniping at each other all the time and the way the racing was in sort of Brazil and stuff where it actually was for me sort of and Saudi where it was you know desperately intense I, thought, I, think, I think for me the way I'd sum it up is last season it felt it almost felt like the championship was a sideshow to Red Bull wanting to beat Mercedes and Mercedes wanting to beat Red Bull, it felt like the competition was that they wanted to beat each other. It doesn't feel like there's that same needing to beat the other team this season. It feels like they're racing racing for the championship, but not, you know, it, it there's not that same level of just really that need that you clearly felt through the whole of last season to really beat the other team and the other team being a factor in that drive to win I think. Do, think do you think there's a question of that just the fact that there, it was such a, a long period of us as fans as not really having that kind of battle at the front 2018 not 2018 2019 and 2020 have been particularly 20 had been such a walk from Mercedes that maybe it just felt more intense because there was another opportunity for someone to win no I mean, I, I, I think it's I, I think it maybe feels more I think the fact that we had such an intense season last season is taking away from this season so yeah, I think I kind of in a roundabout way yeah but I don't think that's down to the fans I think that's kind of down to the teams more so I, I think the way I describe it is football fans will get it. if you don't watch football I'm sorry but it feels like how it's my American know, it feels like Ferrari and Red Bull is a bit like Man City and Liverpool right now there was a top two teams right now you know, head yeah. to head but it's not quite the same as Arsenal and Man United from like 2003 or Arsenal and Liverpool well, or, or Man United, Man City in 2012. Yeah, or something like that. It doesn't feel quite, you know, that's how I see it. The intensity 
or the, the rivalry is not quite as big between Red Bull and Ferrari as it is with Mercedes and Red Bull. You know, it's like with football, you know, Man City, Liverpool, and then Liverpool United or Man United, Arsenal or whatever. That's how I kind of see it. And I also think... Oh, We're at a point where that can still develop. It's it that can. kind of thing. And there's, I think it's hard to judge a championship fight in race five of 23. Um, yeah. for that it felt of, like it had developed to that point by this stage last season, I think. But I think, I think for that, that is like all the stuff I've already said, basically, that it, because it, it came with such, oh. such a baggage from the fact that it, this was the first championship since 2016 that didn't, wasn't really a walkover for Hamilton. I think the biggest, difference, the biggest difference for me is this year, Verstappen seems to be racing the club differently. I don't know if that's because of the cars or the, because we can follow closer, but he doesn't seem as aggressive compared to the, you know, Imola and Spain instance with Hamilton last year. I'd, like, I don't really see him doing that at all, you know, unless it gets to a desperate time. That is the big thing for me. There seems to be a lot more respect between Leclerc and Verstappen. So, I think that for me is where the rivalry is not lacking because you know it's still a great fight, but it's just not quite the quite the same almost. We'll have to wait and see really with that. I wouldn't be surprised if um that's um that that changes at races or stays the same. I wouldn't be surprised if you have um because like if if you look at it for sort of Bahrain, yeah, there was between Lewis and Max, the racing was so different to in uh, Saudi at the end of the year, so who knows? We'll have to and and um, you could say that this year Saudi was getting close to being close to where it was in terms of racecraft and term- fighting for DRS lines and so on. I mean, it wasn't of course as as tight as it was with brake chesting and stuff like that. But um, who knows? We don't know what's going to happen at the end of this year. Do you think Verstappen is racing or treating the club differently to Hamilton? I think he's as a champion now. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think he's racing differently. I, I'm not sure how much to put that down to him having a champion's experience behind him versus... I, think, I, I mean, a championship's I, fight, if that makes sense. Mm. I, I think there's still... A bit of kind of knowledge of how he went too far. <laughs> I, I think that there is an element of it being against Leclerc rather than Hamilton and all the stuff we've already covered about those, you know, the, the Mercedes versus Ferrari aspect. But I also think a significant part of that is coming from, yeah, his, his experience of the championship and the championship and just maturing as another, you know, another year as a driver, I think. Yeah. Okay. That's an interesting one. Uh, yeah. Let us know what you think if you're listening to watching this, because uh, it is an interesting talk, but we will see how it develops. Uh, and I think, yeah, the final thing on the championship, it seems like Leclerc is one of the most likable drivers on the grid, and I'm just wondering why that is. Nice guy. That's a random <laughs> question, I know. It's very obvious, before. isn't it? He's just a very lovely gentleman, isn't he? And mm. he doesn't do anything that really ruffles people up. He's incredibly polite, he's incredibly effusive, and just is charming and funny and nice, isn't he? So... Because I, I think that's another nice reason. Guy. I think that's another reason why it feels a bit different as well. Because like it seems like everyone likes Leclerc, whereas you know, obviously we know about Stafford and polarizing fans and stuff like that. 
But I think that's another reason because Leclerc's so popular amongst fans and drivers. That again is a, is another thing, I think. Yeah. Adam. Yeah, I I think with Leclerc, it I guess he's not really been in that intense situation because he was at Sauber and then at Ferrari when they weren't kind of in that championship fight. So, you know, I wonder kind of how, I don't know, how many more kind of creases in, in his personality or, you know, when there is a dis- divisive incident, which there will be at some point in his career and most likely this season between between him and his title challenger, kind of how that will change the um, perception of him, really. So, yeah, that's the last of the Leclerc the Schappen talk for now, but we will come back to it, obviously, because they are the title uh, protagonist. Um, we, we will be talking about the Spanish Grand Prix. But first, let's talk about a Spanish driver. No, not Carlos Sainz or Carlos Sainz Jr. Uh, it's Fernando Alonso, uh, obviously. Well, not obviously, because he didn't know, but you might have known, but you didn't know, but you probably did know. Uh, Many people, know now, people so. who have access to our planning doc. And that <laughs> yeah. is maybe three uh, of the people in the world. So... Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, Fernando Alonso, he's only scored two points this year. He's not had the best season. Uh, yeah, where do you think he's kind of at? Because Alpine have had some great races, but then Alonso's not been there to uh, pick up the points because of reliability issues or incidents and stuff like that. So, yeah, I guess it's a frustrating season for him so far, already. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean... Obviously, with it being Fernando Alonso, it's been the most frustrating and the most sort of missed opportunities of all time from the greatest moments of ever. But um, of course, I'm exaggerated a bit there. But yeah, I think there's been a a multitude of missed opportunities, um, some from his fault and some not his fault. And, you know, that seems to be just a perfect storm for why he's got more penalty points than points um, this year. And... He's he's definitely been the faster driver. Um, he was much faster in Saudi when he fought really hard with Ocon and got ahead and pulled away and then broke down. He was putting him to shade in Australia when when he was on a lap, arguably good enough for at least second on the grid. Um, and Ocon was nowhere in comparison. And then his um, gear shift ratios, whatever it was, messed up. Hydraulic gear stuff problems. Yeah, problems. And um Don't we all <laughs> <laughs> he was doing quite well in Imola, he got fifth in the original qualifying, but um he just got caught out on at the start in the way many people did with the different side of the grids and so on. And then he had some really good showing in in Miami, but it just sort of fell apart with um a ridiculous send on Gasly, basically that then put him into kind of red mist, get penalties mood. And all that kind of stuff is, yeah, there's so much potential. Again, with Fernando, we know he's a fast driver. He's just not putting... He's not putting A and B together. He's just doing everything, but not continuously. And, you know, he's always been this El Matador, Samurai, all that kind of stuff, whatever he he likes to be seen. I know El Matador's Carlos Sainz. Senior, but anyway, samurai matadors. Yeah, he's got a samurai see. tattoo, doesn't he? I'm not sure. Um, and <clears throat> he's always been that kind of big flamboyant, I am God kind of guy. And he's been a lot better at, at being more of a 
mortal since he did WEC, in my opinion. I've said, spoken about that before, that he understands a team now. Um, now he's 40. But um, it's just kind of like, I don't know. There's not really more, I think, from my side that I think he can do to try and get these results. I think there's just a lot of throwing itself up against him and he's getting a bit more frustrated and a bit more frustrated as it goes. And I think Barcelona and Monaco are the perfect races coming up for him to be able to get a kind of handle on it because no one can overtake him. Yeah, if he qualifies as he has, then he's got a great chance of getting top fives, top sixes. So, yeah. Adam, your thoughts? I mean, that, it's exactly that, to be honest. I think, you know, he, he's reached Q3 four out of the five races, and in Miami, he was 300th off making it. So I think you don't fail to convert that into more than two points without a big slice of bad luck and, you know, or fortune turning against you and, you know, just things not going your way. And I kind of put it down to that. I mean, particularly Australia, I think they could have been on for a really strong result before he binned it. And, you know, he's had, um, I mean, particularly the retirement in Saudi where he looked like he was on for a strong result. And, you know, that really should have been the one to kickstart his season, really. But it's not. So, yeah, I, I don't really, I don't put it down to Alonso fading at all. I think he, I think he needs to not kind of let that frustration come through but you know at Barcelona in front of his home fans it's always been you know there's always I forget the area that he's from but the blue blue uh, background with the yellow cross on and you know that's always filled the stands at Barcelona whenever he's been racing so you know I feel I feel optimistic for really and then like you say Monaco he knows how to get around there and if he can qualify well and the car stays together then you know he he should be fine so I think it's you know I I completely emphasize that it's very frustrating for him but as I say I don't think you I don't think you qualify in Q3 for four out of the five races you know and then don't score the points I don't think that's anything more than bad luck is the most significant factor to me I think he's been better than teammate Esteban off on this year not much better but definitely better it's just he hasn't had the results to show it yet and I think he will I think Adam you mentioned that before the start of the season that he might win a race or something Alonso, you know, mm. with, with some luck and stuff like that. And that could still happen because Alpine have got a decent car. Yeah. So I think but that engine in Baku as well. I know it's a little it's a, still a few weeks away, but that, you know, with half the stra- half the track being a straight. And Montreal. I expect them to go answer. very well there. Yes. Yeah, good point. Yeah. So I think Alonso and even though he's got this kind of character where you know, he might show his displeasure and stuff like that. He never, ever lets it uh, get to him when he's out on the track. He always delivers, no matter how bad a period he's gone through. You know, he's been through McLaren Honda and he's been through feuds on, on and off the track and stuff like that. And he always delivers on the track and he's just so difficult to beat. So, I, I, I don't, yeah, he's, he's still driving very well, just as well as last year, I think. Uh, last year, he, he was fantastic. Uh, so I think it's just a matter of time as to when he's when the good results are going to come, and I don't think it will ever affect him. You know, no matter how bad he, uh, or how unlucky you know he's kind of been. Uh, so yeah, I think he's still one of the top drivers. Hasn't shown it yet. Uh, how long do we think he's going to be around in F1 for? I was just about to ask you guys that. Um, oh, well, I've just asked you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, speak. Okay. Um... Couple more years, genuinely. Couple more years. Genuinely. Still Alpine. 
Oh, if, if they'll have him, yeah. I mean, maybe Aston Martin. They always sniff around at Fernando Alonso, apparently. Um, and he keeps saying, put me in the Red Bull, put me in the Red Bull, and all that kind of stuff, apparently, as well. He's 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 got his, his manager's Flavio Briatore, so he's going to be whiling around like like a little fox because that's just the way Flavio is and the way Fernando is, and they'll get they'll they'll I think Alpine's the best bet. It is that seems to be always his his um sort of savior savior team. Yeah and they are safety home. Yeah, they're obviously seeing how good he's doing and they know how well he can perform against Esteban. They've got Esteban signed on for for um a couple more years yet. So why not keep the driver who's performing better um than the one you've got signed on? Um, I think really the whole question of Alonso's seat then lends itself to the question of Piastri's seat, um, which I find a way more interesting sort of rabbit hole to go down because it, which sort of lent, uh, arises from this conversation. Um, we haven't talked about that. We've, found we've not talked about Piastri all year. No, yeah. But the situation. Uh, yeah, if you want to... Adam, what are your thoughts about Piastri, about what he should do? Because obviously he's taking this year out, uh, well, not a year out, he's the reserve driver for Alpine, but how is he going to find a seat on the grid next year? So firstly, I just want to say, cool start, that Alonso's changed teams. Since he started at Renault, he's changed teams a further five times in his career, yet he's only been at three teams. I just find it. I, I just find it fascinating that he's bounced around this little echo chamber of um, yeah. Renault and McLaren and Ferrari. Yeah, on on Piastri, I think I think it's going to be a difficult one when Alonso's performing as well as he is. Because to be honest, with Piastri coming in, if he could perform at Alonso's level, that'd be a very good that'd be a very good kind of first three seasons for him. That'd be I unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think it's going to be difficult if. Yeah, it, it's a tough one because, you know, if you get rid of Alonso, you have you have a very real possibility and likelihood that Piastri coming in will not be able to match that, especially in the first season. But even, you know, after he's got his feet under the table a bit more, you know, it, it'd still be not a given that he makes it there. So, yeah, I I think it's a really difficult one. And I, I think it'd be best for Piastri to kind of find a seat you know, at another team, there should be teams on the grid that want him because he's a fantastic racer and he's the biggest name in feeder series racing, even though he's not in feeder series racing right now. So, yeah, I, I think the best thing for him would be going to a different team because, you know, if, if he was going to Alpine, I think, I think they'd be better off putting him in alongside Alonso instead of Ocon personally than, uh, than the other way around. But either way, I think it's going to be difficult. It's going to be a difficult one for them to, Manage so, yeah, it's really hard, isn't it? I, I feel yeah. like Ocon hasn't been driving bad enough to warrant dismissal either, and yeah, it's just because you've just got Piastri in the wings that it, it it's brought up. But Ocon's had some mega race drives this year. Um, He's down till the end of twenty twenty four as well. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. So I mean, it's going to cost a lot to get rid of him, and I think because Ocon is really bringing in points this year really well, um, that. You know that lends itself to keep Ocon definitely, but where, where do you think there's a gap for Piastri? Do you guys think they've there is one? They've got to learn about. They've got to learn about somewhere. It's tricky for Alpine because they don't have a natural B team. Yeah, but I mean they've got to. Andretti. Well, yeah, unless Andretti will allow in twenty twenty four, won't it? That's so, still rumours. Anyway. So I, I think they've got to give him out to whether that's an Alfa Romeo or a Williams or Haas or something like that, and they're just 
you know, having this contract that he he can return to Alpine at a certain time or after a year or two or something like that. I think that is the best way because you know you can't see can't have two years out of the sport. You know, F two champion, F three champion in his, his first season. Someone someone of that kind of quality and talent for him to. If he was out, if he isn't in F1 next year, that's a disgrace, quite frankly, of the whole of the whole entire feeder series system. For someone that good to not be in F1 is unacceptable. So the Alpine have to put him somewhere. Where that's going to be, I think it's probably a bit too early to say, but I'm sure talks are going on at the moment. Oh, yeah, they are. What can happen, you know? I think I've seen stuff about mid-season swaps and stuff like that, you know, for, for this year, but I don't think that will happen. Although you never know. Uh, but yeah, I think he's got to go somewhere else. My guess is Williams. Uh, yeah, that was what I was thinking. It feels the logical gap. Mm. Yeah. It's a good good kind of yardstick of going up against Albon as well. Oh, I bet that he should replace Albon. I'm joking, I'm joking. No, <laughs> no, no, but you actually did mean that. Albon is arguably the driver whose stock's risen the most this year yeah. of all of them. Um and you could say that Sonoda's stock's risen enough as well to warrant himself staying on, as you could, if you would say, after the past five races, I would keep Sonoda as a measure of these races. Um, so there's no, not really a gap at Alpha Tauri for Red Bull to snatch him up because they like doing that. Um, Coming in, if Magnussen moves, Martin. if Magnussen moves on, then Haas would be a good landing spot for him. I think Magnussen's not moving on; he's got a two-year deal. Um, Aston Martin is possible, I think. Mm. I can see Aston Martin, particularly with just sort of relations in Alpine. I mean, do do we think do we think he'll definitely be on the grid next year? Like, this is the least confident I've been. I I think there's yeah. I think it's fifty fifty. Thinking about, I don't know. I, I think it's really, and you know, going back to what you said, Nigel. I don't think, I don't think it, it's a disgrace to the feeder series system. I think there are a lot of problems with feeder series racing, but the fact that Piastri was able to get up to the level he yeah. he did is, you know, a kind of triumph for the feeder series system. The problem is F one. Yeah. Sorry, and yeah. There's You're only right. yeah. there's I, only I, ten I teams. System, F1, yeah, yeah, but but you know, I I think that's the that's a massive problem that there's only. There's only 10 teams and, you know, uh, at some of those teams, you have to have one driver in who's bringing in the money, you know, and then there's, you know, the established drivers in. So every season you're kind of talking maybe five seats as, you know, possibilities of becoming available. And I think that's the real problem is, is where it's at with that. So yeah, I'm, um, I feel I'm, I'm not confident at all. I think 50, 50 is where I'm at. I feel we're at a kind of glory point. You could say, because, yeah, there's always the pay driver debate, but I feel like we're kind of... This is the best grid I've ever seen. Yeah, this is the best grid, and definitely in terms of saying, if you want to split between pay driver and non-pay driver, every driver at one point in their career is a pay driver. But anyway, um, like for definite kind of... An F1 team to go, he's mega, we'll have him. I think that's... This is the, the most amount of drivers who have had that kind of sort of mindset. Professional drivers, you could say then that the team have hired them to drive rather than sort of being persuaded to run them. I think mm. you've got noticeable um, exceptions to that, but I think it's it's really small in comparison to where it has been in previous yeah. 
mm. uh, 70 years. I think as well with, it feels like maybe Piastri's peaks, it, it, it maybe feels like he's come along three or four years too early because you, the teams we were talking about or the names that could be entering the sport, you know, from VW Group and beyond Andretti potentially coming in kind of later down the line, if that, if that was happening now, you know, yeah. they'd, they would be biting his agent's hand off to sign him up. So I think the fact that, you know, it, it's, it feels unfortunate for him that he's coming along now where, you know, most of the people on the grid are established drivers or, you know, kind of people who have real potential and have, you know, that pedigree, maybe not as big as Piastri's pedigree, but do have pedigree from their time, you know, either in F1 or before that. So I think it's really tough. He just seems to be coming in at quite a bad time for someone in his position. But then yeah. this time last year, I don't think any of us would have said Joe Guanyu, Alfa Romeo and Alex Alvin Williams and even Nick De Vries being thrown around for both of those seats as well. Um, so there is hope for that. <laughs> Obviously, Kevin Magnussen as well as a, as a name that's just popped up. Like there's still, the F1 driver market is still bonkers. And um, yeah. there's still... Paris was going to Williams. Yeah, you're right. There's still jokers in the pack that could just completely throw the 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 chaos at it. That makes sense. And Words. we can just I don't know. I, I think we can only hope that Piastri ends up in Formula One. That's all we have to have, can do right now. Yeah. It's just a shame that we've got a very high performing grid. I think there's noticeable exceptions, um, but the Latifi conundrum is one that I mean I think. It feels like, yeah, mid-season driver changes happen less and less now. But with a longer season, you think it should happen more and more, in my opinion. But anyway, um, so who, knows, who knows where that ends up uh, later down the line. Um, but I don't really know. I think the silly season for next year um, <coughs> is incredibly, incredibly open. Yeah, I agree. Mm. I mean, it's open every year, but it does feel more open this year. And I think the last point for me on Biasha's I hope he doesn't kind of get jumped in the queue by current F2 drivers, you know, people like Porsche, who, who deserve to be on, on the grid, of course, but it kind of feels like, you know, Piastri got there first kind of thing, so he should be first, but it might not always work out like that, and Porsche has linked to, linked to Alfa Romeo and things like that, so, you know, he might get a seat and Piastri might not, so, yeah, we'll just have to see, but it's certainly an interesting one. It's a great position in a way for yeah. Candy's kind of feeder series to be in because they've created so many great drivers but yeah, F1 it's always been like this with these you know not, not having the best drivers kind of thing and yeah unfortunately Piastri's been as uh, the latest driver on that list so yeah I, I think the only I'm not as worried about F2 because outside of Porsche it kind of it feels like a lot of drivers on the grid are maybe ones whose star is fading or who haven't lived up to the highest expected. There's a long expected. way to go in the season, though. There's a long way. Like, if someone you know, yeah. gets on a road and stuff like that, it can massively... Yeah, change. I agree, but you know, you're talking... Mature, isn't it? it's, it's a different question for different drivers sometimes. But naturally, yeah. yeah, you have some who just pop up and deserve more. You're right. But th there's, there's no one... Besides Porsche, there's no one that I'm looking on at the grid thinking... Well, they really need to be in F1. It, it's not, you know, it, there's not that kind yeah, of level. You would have and... said that about someone like Sonoda when he was in F2. 
weeks for us. Like after what? How many rounds have been? Three, three rounds or something like that. I don't think you would have said that for yeah. us, like Snowed or, or for Joe last year, you know, stuff like that. Well, I mean, I kind of don't. I, I, but I think Joe's in. I think there are more drives in Joe's position where Joe, it wasn't like, wow, he's he's the coming thing. It was Joe's Joe, and he's got F2 experience and Chinese backing, and he'll get on the grid. There are more drives in that position, I think, than ones where you just think, you know, it could, like Leclerc, that it completely blows you away what they've done in feeder series, and then they should get on the grid because of that. Oh, I think, well, I think so, people like Vips and Lawson, if they got on the grid and if you know, they keep performing as they are, I would happily say, right, they deserve to be on the grid. So there's two dozen of the two names, you know, as well yeah, as but, and stuff like that. But I'm on about drivers who make it impossible for them not to be on the grid in any reasonable way. And I think Porsche is the only one of them, whereas Piastri, it's, there's no reason he shouldn't be on the grid. Any thoughts yeah. ready on that? Or? I think, um, obviously, it does seem to be who you align with. And there's been, a, particularly this year, a lot of popularity for drivers of trying to end up with the Alpine Academy, um, simply because of the time you get in an F1 car, um, just in general, for um, Piastri and uh, Jack Doohan have driven an Alpine F1 car this past week, just gone. And those are opportunities that never sort of afforded themselves through um, that easily, that sort of in, in such a develop, de- developmental perspective from other teams like a Williams Academy or a, um, or a Mercedes Academy, unless you were the, the definite hot shot that they want. So I think it really just depends on where these drivers are at because I think we can sit here for hours speaking about who's shown flashes of what and whether your, your doings or your sergeants are all they were made up to be in F3 and, and Haugers when they were absolutely fantastic in those seasons. But um, whether it's just com- whether that's flashing the pants or not, I mean, that's a, a whole bigger thing. And you're right, Nigel, it's too early in the season to tell and it's too, um, too kind of filled as as we all think with um, career Formula 2 drivers, your, your Boshangs and your Nissanis and stuff who are kind of, uh, what's the word, sort of contaminating the results, you could say. Um, and you could even throw a Vips into that, who knows? But anyway, um, and there's, it's all, it's all of the day. It's all, well, who's fashionable? And... Piastri is still fashionable. His performances have enabled that. And I think that was what worked with Sonoda um, in the fact that he was so young and where he was. It made him fashionable. So it, it all, it all, we all have to wait and see. But it does look like the Alpine Academy is failing at its first big test. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm certainly, certainly not fashionable. Uh, fashionable. So anyway. <laughs> Uh, and, and just one final thing of that, like Lung, yeah. Lungard's gone. Lungard's gone to America and has, you know, kind of completely moved moved on from that. And you know, I think it, I think you're right. Piastri was is the first big test, but Lungard was looked like he could be that for a year or so. So yeah, I, I think that's him, to be fair. But Nigel did. Nigel, so, um, yeah, <laughs> him, but, him, you know, him, I, him and Porsche. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think they're. I think. When you combine those two, I think, you know, like you say, the the Alpine Academy has fantastic benefits coming up as a junior driver. But I think, you know, when drivers are looking at the results of the two biggest names they've had, and you've got Joe, who 
didn't really get in through the academy and then Lungard and Piastri who have so far failed to get seats I think that's significant mm. yeah there is F2 this weekend as usual but there's also the F1 of course it is the Spanish Grand Prix it's I think it's the only track outside of the UK where two of us have been to is that right um, outside of the UK is there, has anyone oh, been to Le Mans I've not been to Le Mans I'll log into the one. <laughs> there we go then. Yeah. yeah. There it is. Spa. It is. That's Spa, no. Hungara <laughs> Ring? No. No, then I think so. I think it is. Yeah. There we go. That's a contact. Useless no. fact. Yeah. Useless fact as well. Uh, a bit like this podcast. Uh, no, I'm joking. Uh, right. So, Spanish Grand Prix. Have you been to New York? Yes. Did you see the Formula E track in Brooklyn from a building? <laughs> Probably. Just say yes. Yeah, I went to Brooklyn. Ah, so, there we go, there we go. We've both seen the Formula E track in, in New York. Yeah. yeah there we go. go, there we That's go. That's ruined the facts now. It's ruined the pocket. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the only F1 track. Yeah. Still. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, one of the things that's going to happen this weekend then, lots of upgrades are going to be coming. To, so for me... Beep, beep it makes it even more impossible to predict what's going to happen because this is Ferrari's first big upgrade package. Uh, it's about whether it works and if it does work, how effective is it going to be? Red Bull, Red Bull are going to cut weight as well even more after oh. they did that a couple of weekends ago at Imola. So again, we got to see how much that time that sheds. So is there any hunches that you guys have? It's going to be dry as well. So we will get, we'll find, we'll get a true pecking order as well. Yes, McLaren will be good. McLaren will be good. And F1 will happen. That is all they have to say. <laughs> what do you have to say, Adam Dickinson? Grand Joe will be good because last week was a non-starter. So this week, he's going to be good. No, I have no idea. I mean, yeah, if I'm, am I right in saying Ferrari brought some upgrades to Miami and then took them off before turning away? Yeah, they, did, they took them off, yeah. yeah. So They did the same to, in Imola as well, but that's because that was a sprint weekend and stuff. Yeah, I mean, to me, that just kind of that says more that they should have them nailed this weekend. To be honest, after they've had another fortnight to work on them, but or a tricky yeah, we don't. Path. Mm, we don't know. That's no, the that's fun, right. fundamentally, Fun. we don't know. Mm. No, it's fun. Yeah, and I think the only thing, the most interesting thing, and I know we go on about it every week, but this is the last chance for for, for Mercedes for me. If Mercedes are not doing well this weekend, then I will finally say they are out of the title contention. Because so far, I've, all, I've, all, I've always said, wait until Spain, wait until Spain. They're at Spain now. So, you know, if they're not within two, three attempts in qualifying and in the race, if they're not in the leading pack, then they can forget this year. Uh, that's the most interesting thing for me is whether Mercedes can finally get it right. It's unlikely, but... You know, there's still something there in me thinking it might happen. So, I think for me, that's the most interesting thing that I'm looking out for. Is there anything else you guys are looking out for before we round off? I think, yeah, well, it's obviously what you've just said, but I think... Um, <laughs> I, think I think it's it's just on Merck. I don't know how much it's wishful thinking to even think there's still a hope for them now, but um, it's, it's, it's a really hard one to kind of quantify because yes Spain is the the sort of spiritual um homecoming for the development side of Formula One teams but um it's 
it's still like at the end of the day they've got to do all the work there for then the future races if that makes sense so it's like it's not necessarily plugging in play this weekend yeah so i don't think even though i think i've probably written off mercedes to be honest but i don't think if there's any weekend to write them off it should definitely be this one because i think this is definitely the one where they can definitely learn things and get the most information out of it rather than based on comparing and contrasting to barcelona's pre-season tests and so on yeah. um so i think it sets up what it sets up for future races is potentially even more interesting than the pecking order this weekend. Final thoughts, Adam. Uh, final thoughts are a question. Oh, that's a good thought. So it's 10 years since Pastor Maldonado's win in Spain. Yes. So where do you think Williams are going to finish? Oh, well, they got points last time out, didn't they? Uh, I don't think they're going to get points this weekend. Do you think, think they're, they're going to win? Uh, no. <laughs> they're going to win with no points. Yeah, that would be, be, be good. Yeah. Uh, I, I think they'll... Uh, so it's difficult, isn't it? I think they'll be... If they'll do well to get out of Q1, I'm going to say. I have no idea, mate, to be honest. Um, I think they've been benefiting from sort of strategy that going long and sort of staying yeah. out and stuff like that and that's a strategy that famously works quite well at Barcelona so I wouldn't discount them from points from that kind of poor qualifying good race car kind of thing um, I think both drivers you could throw into that mix actually based on um, where that strategy's worked in the past um, with like your Ericsson's and your Verlines and stuff like that um, who I think are both quite good drivers, actually. But anyway, um, oh, here we go. Studded. Every driver in the Star world, studded, every driver. Brendan Hartley. He was. He was. You I know, like Brendan underrated Hartley. by the F1 world. Oh, I love this driver. I love every driver. I love everyone in the world. That's pretty coach for you. I'm <laughs> sorry. Like I'm... Every other weekend, there was F1 released some like I can't remember exactly what it was, but it's like best team radios of the year or something like that. And and like fifty percent of them were. Or it was like biggest crashes or something, and fifty percent of them were Hartley crashing, and then the, his engineer going, "Brendan, are you okay?" And he go, "Yeah, madam, all right." And that was <laughs> okay. like that was half the video. There was like an eight-minute YouTube video, and half of it was just Brendan Hartley's engineer going, "Are you okay?" I can like him though. Um, what was I saying? Um, Williams. I don't I know. know. It doesn't matter. Oh, Williams, <laughs> Williams. Hmm. Nah, they'll just exist. They'll beat Aston Martin. They're, they're, they're not going to go bust. That's, that's just, the prediction. They just exist, just like we exist, and just like you exist for listening and watching this podcast. Thank you for listening. And that's watching. existential. Are we not going to guess he's going to win? No, we're not. Oh. <laughs> uh, <What>? Yeah, <laughs> we're Leclerc. not. Leclerc, nice. there you go, right. It's too late. Yeah. I'm doing the yeah. outro. No, we're staging a coup. No, I'm doing the outro. Uh, thank you. Bloody mutiny. Follow us on Twitter. Freddie, Freddie can decide Facebook, when the recording YouTube, ends, though. Uh, yeah, I can so decide how I edit this. Yeah. Subscribe and all that. Like, What's your comment. podium, Freddie? Thank you. My podium. My podium. So, Sainz, Verstappen, Leclerc. I'll go Leclerc, Verstappen, Sainz. It's really Ooh. boring. One. I've never seen worth that it. one before. No, I'm going to Goodbye, and we'll see you next week. No. <laughs> see ya. No. No.
No.